everybody. Welcome to Branding Bud Live, the live stream that's 100% THC, 0% WTF. Every week we bring business people together to talk about the business of cannabis. I'm David Palashop, the founder of Branding Bud Consulting Group and the author of the first book on cannabis branding, Branding Bud, the commercialization of cannabis. And I'm joined by my co-host, Adriana Hemans, a marketing executive with over eight years experience in cannabis. Hey, Adriana, how are you today? Hi, David. I'm doing well today. Are you doing well? That's our topic is wellness. You're so right. I am well and I am wellness today. Yes. I'm wellness today. And I hope everyone who's joining is feeling well also. Uh, I want to mention, as I see some of our friends rolling in and some familiar names popping in there, uh, please feel free to say hi in the chat. That's one of the best things about Branding Bud Live is that we get to interact with the people in the audience. So feel free to say your name, where you're from, and uh, drop in a question if you have one for our guest or for David or myself. You're right. We're all over today. I'm in Seattle. You're in LA. Oh. Our guest, Heather Florio, is in Maine. So we're, we're all over. So we want to hear where you are, too. We've got a really great show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, a lot of hot topics to get into. Today, we'll be talking about wellness and CPG, the cannabis connection. And some of the topics we'll be specifically talking about are plant wellness and the ability to deliver consistent quality products, the CBD plus aloe vera formulation um, and how it uh, may dampen pain response and how that might, might be applied to consumer products in the future, and the opportunities for plant medicine and cannabis in the future and what that might hold for the CPG industry. Our guest today is Heather Florio. She is the CEO of Desert Harvest, a 30-year-old aloe vera uh, wellness company. Um, so she brings a wealth of uh, information and knowledge. Um, and not only that, her company also has a CBD product as well. And we'll be talking about the combination of cannabinoids and aloe vera uh, as it relates to CPG products. So I am super excited to talk with Heather today because um, we're going to get the, the real deal. She's a great person uh, and is really running a company with a mission. So I'm excited about that. Me too. And hi, Cheryl from Shasta County, California. Right on. We've got it, got it covered with, with people. Um, so that said, let's bring out Heather. Let's, let's get, do the, it. get the chat started. Hey, Heather, welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so for happy to here. have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're passionate about. Oh, okay. Here we go. So um, Desert Harvest um, started and was kind of born out of a need for a bladder disorder called interstitial cystitis. Um, and over the years, over the past 30 years, we have been developing products specifically for pelvic health, um, sexual health, women's health, urologic health, and for radiation oncology. And um, specifically, as well as um, pain responses. We work with the International Association for the Study of Pain and a variety of other organizations. We've been doing that now for 30 years, kind of evolving. And I have to say, I don't know if I could pick just one that's my passion, but I, I, I love what I do, um, the people we get to help and the lives that we get to change. Pretty cool. <clears throat> you know, um, you, you've been in, in really the wellness um, industry for for years for decades and that's that's really changed over time and there's this sort of blur between wellness and beauty and now we have cannabinoids and other you know components coming into into that space um can you tell us a little bit how that has evolved over time 
Um, I really think as, as you know, wellness and, and beauty is always an evolutionary thing. We, we, we talk about our skin. Um, we, we, we talk about how to take care of it, how to take care of the outside of our bodies. But a desert harvest, you know, we focus a little bit about that, but more in the sense of the overall wellness of, of, of the people um, the customers that come to us specifically with different conditions, different issues. We're looking to meet the needs of the underserved. And I think that that has kind of evolved over the years in watching, you know, when we started out in 1993, it was very much, um, you know, women's health wasn't very much researched. Um, cannabis was, you know, very underground still. Um, and although I, I'm a nineties child, so, you know, it's all over the place. So I don't know if it was underground in my world in Colorado growing up, but <laughs> it was there. And, and uh, so over the years, we've really kind of watched, um, this kind of evolve. Um, and, and we've seen, you know, many things become more mainstream, you know, women's health, sexual health. Um, you know, and in cannabis, we're, we're able to have more authentic conversations about it. And I think that's what Desert Harvest has. We've never shied from having a conversation about something that someone else might consider taboo. But if we see that it meets a potential need, the research is there, the science is there, the benefit is there. Um, we're going to figure out how to, to, to research it, how to make it the best. Um, and bring out the best product possible. So we've really watched um, definitely the, the, the cannabis industry, the medical industry and the beauty industry kind of evolve over the years um, to be an industry that's really about, you know, transparency. Um, we, we really have to be, I mean, you'll always have your bad actors, um, you know, they, for the supplement industry, it's not a regulated industry. Um, it's, it's regulated in a sense, but it's not like it underwent a drug approval process. So there's a very shady component um, that we really have to watch out for in our industry and consumers really have to be aware of. Um, and, and, you know, the same thing goes for every industry as far as what we need to see. Um, but safety data being the best product possible is, is what is critical to us. Mm -hmm. The wellness industry is such an interesting one to watch because you see things seemingly come out of nowhere and become these huge trends. Um, CBD, not so much because that seems like it has a lot of longevity. We see that people who start trying it, it becomes part of their daily routine. But then you see other trends come up, something like, so I'm thinking about something from the beauty space, space which is that charcoal phase that came in and sort of like was here and gone overnight. So I'm curious to hear from you, Heather, like what, what are some trends that you think are here to stay or maybe some that are uh, flash in the pan in the wellness space? Um, you mentioned charcoal. I think the greatest thing that you have to realize about that is, and, and that's a really good example, that was really good marketing. There's a really good thing between really good marketing with some pseudoscience and real science and real research and products that are authentic. And I, I think that that's kind of the busy, biggest thing. You know, with CBD, 
it, it, it's really created kind of a skewed environment um, for CBD. That's a really good example because we have this industry where we're, you know, nearing 8,000 brands of CBD in the United States alone. Um, you know, it's the wild, wild west and, and you can get it at gas stations, you can get it at, you know, pharmacies, you can get it just about anywhere. And we have no idea because it's not being regulated at the moment by the FDA in any way, shape or form. It is all over the place. And, and, and so you've got it in foods, you've got it in, in tampons, you've got it in lubricants, you've got it. I mean, we've just put it in everything without even knowing what benefit it even has. But hey, if we slap some CBD in it, we can charge three times the amount because CBD is expensive and, and um, for a product that might not necessarily benefit it. So I've seen, um, you know, very much like the charcoal there, I think what's going to happen, for instance, in the CBD is, is you know, you, the, the science never supported the, the, the charcoal. I think that's the difference between charcoal and CBD. The science supports CBD. The science is there. We have the research. You know, we even have CBG. We have, you know, other components. We have this research. We just have too many actors and a lot of them bad and a lot of them diluted, not having what they say in them authenticity and ingredients. We don't even know if it benefits. So I think what you're going to see as regulatory evolves, maybe kind of a paring down of these near, almost 8,000 brands in the United States. You just mentioned uh, the regulatory um, efforts mm. happening, and I want to call out a comment from Joel DeSantis. Thank you for today's event. Tennessee is close to passing a bill which adds a layer of regs to hemp up to this point, Tennessee has done a fairly good job at allowing the market to self-regulate itself. Regulation is very important to give this industry the proper credibility. Thanks for your comment, Joel. What are your thoughts on that, Heather? I agree 100%. I think that's the one thing we're lacking. When we chose to go into the cannabis space um, and and bring out our CBD product, we did five years of research, um, you know, looking at, at you know, full spectrum, broad spectrum, isolate, all different variations of this, how we were going to utilize this um, as far as CBD as a, you know, we, we were looking at everything. And then, um, and we were planning for the regulatory because, you know, my lawyers are, are on these councils, you know, I, I have some of the best lawyers in the country in this industry. And, and they sit there and tell me, hey, so it looks like the legislation's going to be here and we should have something by, what was it, November 2019. So sometime in 2020, you should be good to go ahead and, and release your, can your CBD product. So I'm like, okay. So I started getting in. I've got the formula. I have all the research done. I'm going to go into production and I'm going to release this product in June 2020. And then the pandemic hit. <laughs> and and that just like threw a complete wrench in it and 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 then by September 2020 we're putting it in the hands of of Congress instead and we know how well that works um, with actually getting things you know accomplished and done and so I hope that you know so now we're sitting here three years later um, and 
you know, we, we watch this evolve, we watch this come to the forefront, but now we've got the FDA and Congress saying, no, they need to do this. No, they need to do that. So it's like a, he said, she said kind of situation. And, and we're in a situation now in which we are kind of sit in a gray area. Um, I don't like to be in a gray area. We have been on the forefront of of many different types of medical research for almost 30 years. We, you know, we are transparent about all of our, our, our ingredients, the regulatory, everything. And, and this is something that needs to be dealt with so that one, for many, many reasons. One, um, regulatory. Um, so that we're we're having oversight of all these products coming out. Um, we we you know know the authenticity research. Um, we just passed a bill last year to finally do more allow more medical research to happen. We had very few studies going on in the United States. Uh, we had to take our research to Canada um, um, because Health Canada is on the forefront of cannabis related research. Um, they they are flourishing up there and and they astound me with the, the stuff that they're doing in Canada. And then you've got the U.S. sitting here going, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And 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 so I'm really, really hoping that that gets short up because I think that will give it the legitimacy that it needs to kind of, you know, it's already out of the shadows, but, you know, take it completely out, take away that stigma and, and, and look at it from a true medical perspective. We need to understand why um, drug interactions, we need to understand, you know, safe dosing fully, you know, we, we know to kind of stay under a certain level, but where do we go from there? Um, there, there is a lot of, of things that need to happen for not only the safety of Americans, but for the understanding of the product, its benefit. How can we sit there and 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 watch all of these industries where we know it 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 has benefits related to stress and anxiety and and p and there's studies going on with PTSD, but yet we can't give veterans veterans can't touch it. They can't. They we can't even give them CBD because we can't guarantee that the product's not con convert in their body, even though, because it, it, it can still show conversions of THC, even though there's no THC whatsoever in our product um, at, at the, you know, lab level when it's at its raw state. Um, but we have found in our research and what we've done that the body still can convert into THC. So even though a product says it has no THC, there's no guarantee for the safety of a job. And so, you know, if your job is, is at, you know, even athletes, for instance, they can utilize CBD products, which they know are having a benefit for them. I mean, you know, we've, we've got the whole big NFL research program going on, everything else like that. But during the season, they're not allowed to touch it. They can't even touch CBD. They can't touch anything. And then, it, but yet they'll utilize it during the off season and they know it benefits them and they're advocates and they want it, but they can't get access to it. So you definitely sports, athletes, veteran, you know, military, we need, we need to change the stigma so that, that, that it's not like, Hey, you're going to lose your job if, if, you know, you utilize cannabis. Yeah. You, you know, I, wow. I have, so much, so so many questions just from that. Um, 
just just one thing I have to do is call out. I see at least two, maybe three people are moving to New York. That's my home state. So I just want to give a shout out to all the folks that have uh, been talking about New York on the sidebar. Um, Heather, okay. with over 8,000 brands and with, you know, the FDA saying one thing and or, or Congress saying one thing and then all of the regulatory um, uh, associations saying saying other things and nobody really nobody being able to fully connect how do we as consumers um, make sense out of all of this like what what can we do to to better understand um, wellness and I, I think at this point um, how CBD plays into wellness you know, it's it's this is another reason why the regulatory needs to kind of change. We know that um, it it the almost eight thousand brands makes it really hard as a consumer to be able to trust, know what you're getting, where it comes from, where it's sourced, how it's extracted. You know, there there's so many questions that happen as a consumer that unfortunately the only thing that you can really say is trust your brand. Like if you have a, a recognized brand that you know and trust and has has done some research, because there are the companies that have done the research and a research study is is is, you know, it has to be more quantitative. It, it, you know, even our study, our research, we have we have done our models, we've done human tissue studies. Um, and now we're crossing over and, and have permission to actually do human studies um, in live humans. And so we, we are very excited about this, but this is the limits of every company that has a cannabis product and the ability to do research on live humans. We can do research on mice. We can do research on, you know, our research was a little bit different in what we were able to do, but um, we kind of, found our way around it. Um, but it is, it's really hard to be able to, to navigate. There isn't a website that you can go to, to look at brands you trust. Um, a lot of the times what you're seeing in, in magazines and other things like that are best of, sometimes they can be pay to play. Sometimes they can be, you know, they've been given free product, you know, influencers, you know, same kind of thing. They could have just been given the product to to review it and they've gotten that free product or gotten paid. And and so how do you know? It's not like we have a consumer reports for cannabis. Uh, maybe, you know, weed mats or leafly will get there. But <laughs> um, and yeah. it's true. It's true what you say about, you know, influencers and social media and and all of that stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Let, I, I'm curious, we, well, let's just jump to our audience participation. We always have um, audi an audience participation. <clears throat> um, I think this is important too, sorry to interrupt you, David, but because we were talking about the regulations, so it's like what percentage of people really are, would be impacted, and it really sort of shows like how, um, how remiss are our FTAs being by not actually stepping in and putting some some definitions around this? Yeah. So our question is just just to level the playing field. Last year in 2022, what percentage of America of Americans actually consumed CBD? So is it A, 9%, B, 18%, C, 26%, or D, 32%? Audience, this is your opportunity to shine. So yeah, 
free to put your guests in. Uh, and I want to say to Megan Panamino, good luck with your move to New York and congrats. I hope you have much success in the Big Apple. Well, I'm just assuming you're moving to the city. Maybe you're not moving to the city, but good luck with your move in either case. In our, our neck of the woods. That's right. Back on the East Coast. Yeah. I tell you, tell you went back to school. I saw that. Okay. So, um, wow, we're getting a lot of A's. I see three guesses for A. Nine. Yeah, I would have guessed higher. I don't know. And it's interesting because I think there was the CBD craze and CBD fell from grace and all the other cannabinoids sort of picked up and and CBD was sort of even, dare I say, overshadowed by Delta 8 and some of the other things mm -hmm. that, that have been happening. So um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we've got mostly A's, a couple of B's. Mm -hmm. Heather, what's your thought? Can I choose two? Either C or D? No. <laughs> I, I think it's one of the higher ones. Um, I, I'll go with C. C, okay, 26%. All right, well, we don't have a we don't have audio, so normally we'd have our drum roll right here, but- I see a pretty even split. It looks like three or four A's and three or four B's and Talia says, I'm in between A and B based on my experience as a bud tender in Austin, Texas. My guess is 8%. Okay, so people are leaning. There's a write-in vote. Ooh, we got a C. <laughs> and dare I say, you know, it's funny, just based on what Talia just said, um, based as a bud tender, I would think that people who go into a dispensary are probably not necessarily looking for C CBD on the mass market, like those that might buy it in health and wellness products. I almost think of those as two separate um, segments or markets. Um, but let's see. Let's. I'm, I'm curious the answer. It was C, 26%. Don T, you got it right. Nice work. And that came from Cross River Therapy, the statistics and data, which we always like to call out. So when we pull out a stat, we like to back it up. <laughs> Right on. That's a really significant percentage, I feel like. It is, which makes okay. even what, Heather, what you were saying um, moment, you know, moment earlier, um, you know, that if 26% of Americans consumed CBD in 2022, uh, the FDA and, and Congress and, and all, all of those, uh, you know, those that need to pay attention should be paying attention. Mm -hmm. So yeah, on they, the topic of, do. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I agree 100%. You've got me like Googling the US population now. I'm like 26%. How much is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah someone yeah. do that math for us. This is a huge number. Um, and with, with that, with everyone sort of, you know, I think consumers in general and Americans in particular are, are taking wellness in their own hands and they're not necessarily waiting for their doctors or um, big pharma to tell them what they need to take to make themselves uh, feel their best. Heather, do you think that big pharma is threatened by this, this wellness movement that we're seeing? Yes and no. Um, I think that on one sense, um, you've in. I think that they are poising themselves um, um, in some way to be involved in specifically this space and and as, you know in the cannabis space and the wellness space. Um, 
I think that, um, for instance, Epidolics, um, the only FDA-approved cannabis-based drug on the market uh, for seizures, um, is pure CBD isolate, um, and it's FDA-approved drug. I am currently undergoing FDA approval for um, one of my one of my supplements, which is our aloe vera capsules, which are used to um, for a bladder disorder called interstitial cystitis, imagine a constant UTI that goes, never goes away and is debilitatingly painful. About 75% women, about 25% men have it here in the U S they estimate about eight to 12 million men and women have this a condition. And, and we have an 87.5% response rate of summer complete relief of all symptoms in double blind placebo controlled studies. The, the one um, FDA-approved drug on the market that is currently undergoing class action litigation for making people go blind, causing retinal myopathy, um, and causes side effects of hair loss, liver damage, kidney damage. Al our aloe vera has no side effects, and it has a lower efficacy rate of about 36% on average. Um, and so this is, this is where we are really trying to, the FDA, you know, the, the rigorous process needs to happen. What happens to undergo drug approval really does need to happen. The, the problem and the unaffordability that keeps so many in the wellness space that, that, that might, you know, become a drug and be in the pharma space it's it's the costs. I mean, the, the costs are astronomical, millions and millions of dollars just to get started and just to get through the first round of testing. Um, and, and that's what makes it an impossible option. So I really think that the people with deep, deeper pockets as we as we go along this this might evolve and change. It might not. It'll, it'll obviously, you know, when we talk about big pharma, it's, it's, can they, the, the investment that they have to make to turn it into a drug, can they get a return on investment? They did on epidolics, major big time. Um, and so I think that will ultimately be the question, but I think that it's, it's companies like, mine like desert harvest i would say that are you know small to medium that are really on the foreground of going i want to innovate i want to create you know we're we're the ones at desert harvest we're at the medical conferences where our, our customer service is you know we're interacting with the patients on one side we're interacting with the doctors on the other side and we're bridging that gap because there really can be a gap between that doctor and patient. We're trying to bridge that educational gap, that research gap um, and, and, and bring them together. And so maybe I feel like that companies like ours though are like the building blocks of that, of what, you know, then big pharma goes and creates and goes and does because they see a lucrative opportunity. We are a capitalistic society. It's, you know, but it's it's companies like ours that are doing the groundwork, listening to the patients, listening to the patients' needs, listening to the what the doctors are hearing on a day-to-day -day basis and their patients' needs. You know, we we're we're really trying to bridge the gap. And there are a lot of amazing companies out there doing the same thing. Is that frustrating for you, Heather, to see Big Pharma sort of uh, capitalize on your product development? 
It is. It is. Um, it's definitely, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those really hard things where you, you watch, you put in all of this effort and, and, you know, this is where IP again, super expensive, your patents, your trademarks, your everything, super expensive to get done. And when you're a small company, it, it can be difficult and challenging to get those pieces. But those are the only things that are going to protect you from big pharma companies and make it possible. And, and then those big pharma companies, which has happened to us many of times, uh, come knocking on your door and and want to get involved or want to, you know, partner, want to buy you or want to and and you have to do what makes sense for you. And in, in, in our case, we have had the same mission for 30 years. I am second generation. My son works here, third generation in his 20s, uh, wants to someday take over him and his wife. You know, they're, they're this partnership duo that are killing it. And I think that 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 this evolutionary process of, of small to medium businesses, it just depends why you're there. Our, our mission is really to change. We want to change things well, I'm in the healthcare industry. Um, in this space, we want, we want to disrupt. We want, and, and I, I'm not looking for some big pharma company to come in and, and change that, change how we interact with our customers, that connection, that, that creating products specific for those consumers. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. So, um, Go ahead, David. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. Um, I'm. I'm thrilled, but I'm. But I'm also. Um, you know, questioning how do small businesses, you know, stay afloat? Then, right? If if all the innovation is taking place at the small to mid-sized companies, um, but the cost to really manage the IP, uh, to really take it through all of the other levels of regulation and certification. And to open up the markets, really, which is finally when the when big pharma comes in, right after mm -hmm. after uh, the trailblazers have have you know ripped a trail, and after it becomes easier, after there's more market share, there's more people aware of, in this case, CBD, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how how do you stay afloat then? How do you manage to um, to do what you do over the course of thirty years? Patience. Um, you know, we we could have taken on investors. We could have taken on large amounts of cash. It's thrown at us every day on a daily basis. It almost seems like. Um, but for us, it was critical to maintain our anonymity, to be able to our independence, to be able to um, take this and be able to own our brand and and our mission, our goals, you know, I, I don't think, and this is what makes Desert Harvest very unique and very different. I could throw, take all the money we're making and throw it back into marketing and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And obviously we have a whole marketing budget and a portion of that, but, but we are committed to the authenticity of what we're doing, the authenticity of our products. And so we take a lot of that money and throw it back into research and education and 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 you know we we could have done things faster we could have gotten more patents we could have you know done all of this stuff but for us it was better to have slow moderate controllable growth 
over these 30 years that has really allowed us, you know, there's tons of ideas of things I'd love to do. And, 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 and I have technology, we have created things that we have done. And I'm just holding off because I'm, you know, managing my budget. And, and, and cause some of my ideas are grandiose, uh, but, but definitely trying to, to, you know, manage what I've got, work with what I have. Um, that way I don't have to take on investors. I don't have to be beholden to investors. I don't need to be on every store shelf in the United States where I just lost 75% of my, you know, margin to, to, you know, big box stores. I, I, I don't need to do that. For instance, there's one company that's one of our competitors. Um, and I had learned that our net in, although our gross income was different because they're, they're on every, they're in every store shelf in America, our net profit was exactly the same. Um, and that is because of those margins and, and what's going into, to making that happen. So I guess it's, it's for us, it was very important for us to stay authentic and to maintain our independence. And so we didn't do anything fast. We didn't do IP fast. We did the basics of what we could do, what we, you know, moderate everything moderately, a little bit at a time. And here we are 30 years later you know, training our third generation. So. Mm -hmm. Well, you must have a very strong um, customer base to have been around for 30 years and be innovating and bringing new products to market. I wanted to back up for just a second since we're on the topic of marketing and brand building and audience building in general and sort of take a view of some trends that we're seeing when it comes to, um, oh, there's your product there. Let, let's talk about this for one second before we move on to the to the audience question. Uh, what are we looking at here, Heather? Um, so you're looking at some of our best uh, sellers here. So you've obviously got the CBD here in the forefront and you've got a couple of different labels because we're in the middle of a rebrand. Uh, the darker labels are our newer ones, but you've also got our super strength aloe vera capsules on our on the left, a couple of our other supplements, calcium and vitamin D3, quercetin. Um, so that aloe vera capsules are what we use for the interstitial cystitis. Um, uh, the relievium was developed for cancer patients undergoing radiation treatments as for radiation dermatitis all natural except for the 4% lidocaine um, is the number one um, topical recommended by radiation oncologists worldwide. Um, you have our aloe vera gel A, um, which is what you would typically think of when you go to the store and get a product for, or put aloe vera on from a leaf for a sunburn. Um, and, but this is as concentrated as you can get without the plant. Um, and it with, and so we have a unique patented process for our aloe vera in which we are maximizing nutrients. Um, we're removing the negative components that are naturally in aloe vera. These are what would be on the products you normally see on the store shelves, anthraquinones. If you ever open up a leaf and you've got the, the, the gel and then a slimy thin yellow layer below that, that is the anthraquinones. And internally, externally, they're just going to make it hard and cakey and icky, but internally they can actually um, cause colon cancer long-term. 
um, liver damage, kidney damage. They're meant for short-term use as digestive aids, other things like that for fiber, other things, but they're not meant to be taken in large doses long-term, um, right. which is the product. Yeah, which is the product that we're making. So the aloe vera gel A is really you think of it for sunburn, but we have, it is one of the top products um, recommended by the National Eczema Association. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, used topically um, for vulvular conditions, mm -hmm. um, a variety of different things like that. So wow. we have a whole line like this. So we don't use it in the traditional sense. So there's so much to like look at there and, and review and to understand all the nuances of different products. Uh, which sort of leads into this question about like, we were talking about consumer education. We were talking about how people learn about uh, the products that they can trust, because obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes that consumers wouldn't normally be privy to. Um, and one trend that I think is really interesting as we were, we were prepping to have this conversation is, is the question of consumers are learning about products from other consumers, right? C to C. Mm -hmm or social commerce, you're, you know, we've seen it a hundred times, like scrolling through Instagram or looking at TikTok and people are, are selling products to you. And sometimes it's very subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle. Uh, but I think this is an interesting stat and I'd love to hear our audience take a stab at what you think this is. So social commerce um, defined as the uh, selling of consumer to consumer on social media platforms typically Social commerce is expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate of X percent from 2023 to 2030. Is it A, 16%, B, 24%, C, 32%, or D, 43%? Yeah. And once again, audience, this is your chance to shine. I just love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so join, um, let us know what you think. A, 16%. B, 24%, C, 32%, or D, 43%. And uh, I think in the realm of what we were talking about earlier of 8,000 plus brands with, with a very muddy um, market, you know, not necessarily knowing what works and what doesn't work, not necessarily knowing what um, what the concentrates are uh, or, or the levels are of, of both good and bad um, components in the product. It's, it's hard to tell. So... Um, I see we've got uh, a couple of D's and, and a couple of C's. We have uh, a percentage which is way off the mark. Thanks, Kim. Thanks. For <laughs> that would be great news for TikTok if that were true. I see, let's see, six guesses for D, 43%, and two guesses for C, 32%. Should we reveal the answer? Ask Heather first what her thoughts are. Yeah, Heather, what are your thoughts? I'd go high too. I'd say D. So everybody thinks social influencing and social commerce is, is really just going to absolutely skyrocket. And I think I agree with that. Let's see what the answer is. 32%. Charlene got it right and John got it right. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it makes sense. And I think I think we're all looking to people we trust. And, and you know, an influencer goes a long way over a long time if, if they're leading you in the right direction and you can trust them. And that's that really comes back to what a brand is, right? You know, a brand is the ability to consistently deliver a promise, whether it's real or perceived. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, just consistently delivering something that, that 
people are looking for and managing their expectations along the way. Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's a, that that's at the heart of a brand. It definitely, it, it consumer trust. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you know, one thing um, just to touch about touch upon, um, we have a little bit of time. I just want to touch upon the CBD and the aloe vera testing that you've been doing. That you know seems initially to to show you know dampening pain and and maybe you could touch upon that quickly, the science of it, and then jump yeah. into how that might be used with, uh, you, you know, for people, whether it's patients or athletes, uh, et cetera. Yes, definitely. Um, so we started initially first, we knew that combining our aloe vera, that aloe vera could act as a carrier. Cannabis is inert. Um, it needs a carrier to make it systemic, hence the sublingual with the oils. Um, and other pharmaceutical or enteric coatings that are used in edibles, things like that, and other essential oils. So for us, we wanted to use the aloe vera as a carrier. So we went to the University of Colorado because we knew it was going to make it more bioavailable or systemic in the body. And we were able to show that our aloe vera combined with the CBD isolate is 25% um, more bioavailable or systemic in the body than any other CBD product out on the market. Um, and, and we were able to confirm that because um, the, the lab at the University of Colorado maintains a database of um, all cannabis products and their bioavailability. Um, and so we were able to uh, do that first. And then we wanted to understand which, you know, because right now everybody's saying it works for everything. And so we wanted to know what it actually worked for. Um, so we went up to McGill University in Canada in Montreal um, because we knew we could. Um, they have one of the foremost pain research centers in the entire world, and they have an entire cannabis division um, at the Allen Edwards Pain Research Center. And so we went in and um, developed pain models with them, looking at, for instance, bladder pain. We had an 83% reduction after 24 hours. Um, chronic nerve injury pain, we had a 56% reduction after 24 hours. Um, and we've had similar response rates with chemotherapy pain, surgical pain, MS pain, um, and so we then we wanted to understand we're and we're actually developing more pain models. So we want to go further because we're, we want to, you know, we work a lot in women's health. So we want to understand like endometriosis, um, uterine fibroids, heavy menstrual bleeding, uh, polycystic ovary syndrome. Like we wanted to see what other conditions. So we're doing more models. Um, but um, we also wanted to understand the mechanism of function in the human body. So McGill was actually able to harvest neural pathways from donors that had donated their bodies to science. So they keep the, they once all the organs are harvested, they harvest the neural pathways. They can keep them alive for up to a month. And so we can induce um, um, you know, these different types of pain and the nerves and, and, and we can in, induce pain and see how it's impacting the nerves in live time. Um, and then we can actually understand the mechanism. So we determined that it was blocking the chemical release 
from ever making it to the central nervous system. And there's more to that, but we're, we're getting ready to publish this year. So um, we're really excited about that. And this is leading us into getting permission from Health Canada to be able to expand our research into human trials, um, um, which is kind of going to be our next step as well. And I do see migraines over here. Um, and uh, it is one of the, the models that we're actually looking at because there's a large, it was interesting, we went to FENS, which is the largest neuroscience conference in the world to release this research last year in Paris. And uh, uh, the migraine sufferers and the heavy menstrual bleeding, we were inundated with people asking us about that. So, very cool. Wow. Yeah. There's um, there's a lot that we didn't get into, but lots lots of things that have my mind. Part two. Yes. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. Your, you know, what what you do and what your family has done for thirty years is is just really amazing and. Um, we just appreciate everything that you do because you explained it so wonderfully before. It's it's hard for the small and mid-sized companies to to keep innovating and to, to keep looking after patients and uh, and folks that you know are underserved, like you said, and, and that really need the help. So thank you for doing what you do and thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. And quickly, um, you can check out Heather's products at desertharvest.com, correct? Correct, yes, definitely. And I see that someone asked about a gummy, so just really quickly, these are in capsule form, but you can take the capsules out if you can't ingest capsules, so. Thank you, Heather, we appreciate you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, I could have gone on all day talking about that. Yeah, especially the 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 neural nerves the research, yeah. models that's that's pretty incredible um but i think you know there were a number of people that chimed in today and said hey they're you know whether they're moving to new york to start companies or they're starting companies um i, I think it just shows how how hard it is to uh to build a small business and um you know to to keep it going that said um our show next week is really interesting. Uh, next Thursday, April 6th, we've got a show, as we always do, 11 a.m., 2 p.m. Uh, EST, 11 a.m. PST. And next week is Cannabis EDU Higher Education. And we have Michael Zaitsev, who is the Cannabis Program Director at LIM College in New York. We also have Marianne Kirstje. She is the CEO of Alibi Cannabis out of Oregon, but is also a professor of cultivation. Um, in the uh, undergrad program, which is pretty cool. So we're going to be talking about cannabis education, uh, getting a higher degree, um, and what people can do in the industry with those degrees as the industry develops. So um, we're excited about that. Yeah, looking forward to that. And thanks for your question, Joel. I think that would be cool to do a show on the topic of capital finance. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks, everybody. Come to our end. Don't forget to uh, to join us uh, every week. Don't forget to check us out on LinkedIn and our YouTube channel. And don't forget to check out Cannabis' Cannabis's best kept secret at brandingbud.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.